really, you want them to, to finish school or gra be graduating with a love of learning. As if they know how, where to go to find more information, how to find good information. So one of the things that I'm I'm making a big focus in my homeschool curriculum, starting um, with my 11 year old, is logic. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Pal and Dr. Samira Arman, also known as the PD Pals as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at The PD Pals or find us online at www.thepdpals.com. Good day. Thank you for joining us today on our parenting podcast, The Well Child, brought to you by The PD Pals. As always, we would greatly appreciate it if you could listen to this podcast, review it, and follow us on social media at the PD Pals. The year is finally 2021, and we have a very exciting lineup of guests for you, guaranteed to inspire you, increase your parenting knowledge, and talk about issues that matter. Starting with today and our guest speaker, Dr. Bethany Reif, also known as Dr. Beth. Dr. Beth is a personal and dear longtime friend of ours. She is a board certified general pediatrician who lives part time in Texas and part time in Alabama. She is a devoted mom of four, a little bit akin to Maria Von Trapp, a hardworking pediatrician who also spends her spare time homeschooling children. We will delve further into her background today, along with her unique way of practicing medicine, and Anna and I will ask her all of our nosy questions. So get yourself a nice cup of tea and get ready for a fun time. Welcome, Bethany. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited. We have lots and lots of questions, but first, we just want to know how you're doing. This has been a crazy 2020. And we just want to make sure, check in. Hopefully you're doing good. It looks like you have a lot on your plate, but yeah. just tell us a little bit about how things are going and about yourself. It's it's actually going really well. Luckily, it hasn't really honestly affected me that much, which is such a blessing. Um, and uh, and so my practice style is fine. It, I was already doing telemedicine and everybody was like, how do we do telemedicine? Because so yeah. Tammy actually texted me. It was like, what, how do I do this? <laughs> I was this like, is oh, a yeah. true story. Yeah. I always say that about you. You are the strangest little pioneer I've ever met. I didn't met. even know I was doing that. <laughs> you were ahead of the game. It was awkward. unknowingly. Mm -hmm. But no, no, I started January. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating about it. you've always been ahead of the game. You always say stuff. And when you say it, the rest of us, you know, the friend group, we're always like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm, okay, that's cool. And then three years later, we're like, wow, she was really on to something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so for, for our listeners that don't know about your your background and your and your practice that you're talking about, tell us a little bit more. Okay, so um, I grew up in um, on the north side of Houston in a, one of the suburbs, uh, just small town kind of thing. Um, been here my whole life. So when I finished residency um, with Samira and you, and um, then I came back to my small hometown and got a job in one of the um, local uh, 
just private practice as a private practice pediatrician. I worked there for seven years. And um, those last few years, I just realized like, this is not my forever job. I don't like the insurance companies. Um, I, there were just certain things um, about just traditional medical practices that were frustrating to me. I wanted more time with my patients. I wanted to be doing what I, I felt like I could do a lot more for them. And actually, what y'all are doing here kind of lines up with it. You feel like you don't have enough time to educate your patients and thus you're doing the podcast. So I felt the exact same way. And my alternative was to open my own direct primary care practice. So this direct primary care concept is, has been sweeping the country for, I, I don't know, a good 20 years or so, but just in the past really five years have more pediatricians gotten into this game and or out of the game is more like it because we're not following any of the rules. <laughs> but um, basically, um, I don't take any insurance. It's all cash-based. So you, the patients have a direct relationship with me. Um, instead of going through, I don't have nurses or office staff or any of that. The, my patients have my, um, it's an office number, but it's basically my personal cell. Um, it comes to my personal cell phone. Um, so they text me, they email me, they call me, whatever they need. They can call me in the middle of the night if their kid isn't breathing right. And they're like, what do I do? You know, they call me. And so these new moms are just parents of kids with bad asthma or whatever, anything. What is this rash? I don't know. They send me a picture. I, I, um, I can do that. And so it's just, it's kind of, I, one of the ways we characterize this, this style of medicine is it's like having a pediatrician in the family. Um, you're just like, Hey, what is this? Is this okay? And it's so quick and easy. And, um, and I keep my prices affordable is my big thing um, about it uh, personally. And we don't have to deal with the insurance rules. So it's really nice. And I do a lot of it over the, over the phone and video. Wow. Fascinating. And actually, I love that you said that because I was thinking the exact same thing, that the PD Pals was founded on this premise that we wanted mm-hmm. to spend more time with our patients. And you're right. That's exactly what came up of it. And it's so funny how we had the same dilemma and took it in two totally different directions. Yes. <laughs> so we have the same goal, the same plan, just, just doing it in different ways. So it's wonderful because this works for like different types of patients, you know, because yeah. so, not everybody wants this style of practice or can afford it outside of their insurance or, or whatever. It just doesn't work for them. Um, and so you have the opportunity to share this information you know, for those types of patients that aren't doing this, you know, and maybe patients that are not near my, my home base where they could come and see me and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think it's, it's what every pediatrician or general practitioner dreams of, you know, having time growing with our patients, giving them, you know, real information because there's so much misinformation out there. So we really felt that struggle. And that's, um, that's fascinating that, uh, you know, I'm learning more and more about this uh, direct primary care practicing. So, so thank you for sharing. Yeah. So technically you have a smaller patient base, right? That's, that's the much smaller. That's why you can spend the time. I do, but y'all for, for a, for a larger practice that takes insurance, you need the larger patient base because you're you're paying people to do all the billing, you're paying the front office, the back office, the nurse, because you have to see this volume of patients in order to one, pay yourself and pay bills, and then two, to pay all of these employees to do all of this extra work that there's no way you could do on your own. And it's, it's kind of like a catch-22 because if you didn't have to pay all those people, then you wouldn't have to have as many patients but you know, like yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not a good answer. The average physician actually has five, 5.5 people supporting them is the average number. 
And so it's just, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why the, I don't know, that's why you have to see so many patients. And that's why, because like, I think y'all have between, in general, between three and 8,000 patients is, is what the, the average pediatrician carries. And um, I can't, I'm, I don't, see, we don't, in pediatrics, because not a whole lot of people have been doing this for very long, and because every community is different, we don't know exactly the number that we need in order to make it affordable, or to make it livable, like to where I could live off of the income kind of thing. Um, but right now I'm carrying about 250 patients, um, somewhere in there. Wow. And, uh, you've, you've grown fast. Cause the last time I spoke to you, you weren't even close to that. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's going really fast and it, well, it's going appropriately. Like I get, you know, three or four new families, um, uh, a, a month and I charge per family. And so not most, most doctors doing this do not charge per family. Um, but my specific, my, I don't know, my passion, I guess, because I'm a mom with, of a one income family with several children, that's my favorite patient. So I wanted to make it perfect for the one income family with several children. Um, and so a lot of my patients have four five, six, seven, eight, nine kids, um, something like that, but (laughs) I'm not kidding, but, um, but so I feel tired just listening to that. (laughs) But it's so wonderful. We understand each other and we we get each other. And like, how wonderful is that to come to a pediatrician who doesn't think you're weird for having eight kids? You know, like, right. so it's just wonderful to to be in that environment, be able to support these moms of, you know, that of course are overwhelmed at times and whatever, you know, this is hard raising this many children, but it's so wonderful at the same time. And, um, and so just to be able to support these moms and every kid is so different and wonderful and walking beside them and watching them grow. And um, now a lot of these patients are from my previous practice. And so, um, you know, I've watched these kids their whole life right. and it's just so cool. And uh, now they've got all these siblings and it's fun. I just have a quick uh, question just for people that would be potentially interested in finding a pediatrician like yourself and, you yeah. know, really get that kind of care. Um, how, how does it work uh, from technical standpoint with labs and, and tests? Can they still use their insurance right. when you need further testing? Yes, it's still all of that still goes through their insurance, okay. um, even Medicaid. Um, we'll, we'll do that. And I can do referrals. I can do everything. It really doesn't affect that at all. I still do the same orders as y'all. And the nice thing about it, your kid falls and, you know, hurts their arm and you're like, you're not sure if you're broke, it's broken or whatever. And so you send me a picture or we talk about it over the phone and video chat and we'll watch how the kid's using the arm. Okay. Yeah. I think we need an x-ray. I'll send it to you. You print it off or whatever, or I'll send it to the lab and you go get it done. And you didn't ever go to the, you didn't have to go wait in the ER, the urgent care. You didn't have to go wait at your doctor's office for an appointment. You just go to the lab and get the film or the lab or whatever you need done. I can do the same thing. I do the same thing with UTIs. I send the kids straight to the lab, get your urine and I'll know in, you know, in a little bit if, if there's a UTI and you didn't even walk into the doctor's office. Well, full Um, disclosure, um, just for our patient, I'm sorry, for our uh, listeners, uh, they might not know, but, uh, Dr. Pal, Anna and I, we work um, as general outpatient pediatricians, but a more traditional model. Uh, but we, since the invention of telemedicine, which has become widely popularized since COVID, we do that too. <laughs> so we, we now also just send them to the lab or just send them for an x-ray. But you started this for sure. Before they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. In the past, it was considered like previously before this year, 
it was considered kind of faux pas because you didn't, you couldn't charge for that visit. And so it was like giving out care for free. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, whereas my patient, that, that's the thing we didn't mention. My patients are paying a monthly, a monthly membership fee. And so I don't have to worry about how many times they're texting me or, or that type of thing or how much time I'm spending on things because I'm being reimbursed um, and, and, uh, and that type of thing. And so that helps a lot. Um, and so, but in a traditional practice, you can't bill insurance. Now you can for telemedicine for the moment. Um, I don't know how long that's going to stick or what it's going to do. Hopefully it stays. Um, but yeah, in the past, you couldn't charge for telemedicine visits. And right. so doctors were having, if doctors did that type of thing, they were doing it for free, which is great. So I, my I, to frown on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mimic that sentiment because I at first was very resistant to the idea of telemedicine. The whole faux pas thing. Part of it is that when you go through medical school, we have been trained in such a traditional way that you have to lay hands on the patient. So mm -hmm. a, a particular type of practice where I'm not actually laying hands on you, I can't put my stethoscope on you seemed so foreign and so wrong. Right. And I don't have your weight and your temperature and your height. I can't diagnose your broken arm. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't be so logical, Bethany. <laughs> but, but, you know, until that's how we were trained. Yeah, until you do it, uh, then you realize it's not ideal for every scenario. There really right. are certain cases where you do have to get the weight, the temperature and all that good stuff and, and, and put your hands on the patient. But there are actually a lot of cases where it's not necessary. And crazily enough for me, uh, for a model, a patient model like yours, or even like ours, when you know your patients and they're not strangers to you and you've gotten to know them, you you find that perfect balance of in-office and televisits where mm -hmm. you're not bringing them in unnecessarily, but you're also not treating something Missing over something. a televisit. Right, right, right. right. The, that's kind of the beauty of this. I know a lot of my patients and we grow, we grow relationships as I take care of their children. And I do like, I see all of my patients for well visits and get their history and get a good exam on them before I'm practicing telemedicine on them, which I think is really important. There are a ton of these telemedicine things out there that are not doing that, that are right. just treating kids. And it, that it does like the whole telemedicine idea of just kind of throwing out antibiotics and all this thing, it does kind of freak me out. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, that I don't think that's good medicine. That I do think you have to have a relationship. One, you know the parents better. Mm -hmm. You know, I know which parents I can trust to call me, you know, on different things. And parents just have different, I don't know, different styles, different education levels, different things. Like I know which ones I can trust to really watch their child on their breathing and that kind of thing. And which ones like, ah, this parent always describes things weird. I'm going to look at this kid and make sure that everything's okay. I don't know if that's okay to say on a podcast, but <laughs> no, I was gonna, I was, when you said that I was literally going to say the same thing that a lot of times our perception of what's wrong and what's actually wrong. You know, me and Sammy talk about this all the time. When it comes to your kid, you can't think, you know? Yeah. And so you're yeah. fixated on a particular thing. And there's be so many times where parents will come in and say, I'm really worried about you know, this particular rash. And, uh, and I'm usually like, well, have I'm more worried about how the baby is breathing, you know? Right. So a lot of times we, you know, we really need the professional to be able to make that judgment. But in cases like the pandemic in things like, you know, we fell, we hurt our arm in some of these cases, I feel like telemedicine is really helpful, but like you said, it has to be responsibly used, right. you know, right. I do. I have a backup doctor. 
So if somebody, if I'm doing a telemed visit or somebody has a complaint that I'm like, ah, somebody's got to look in that ear or somebody's got to listen to that, those lungs or something like that, we just need this looked at. Um, I have somebody available that I can call, you know, and just have them meet them at the clinic and, and they do that. And uh, I'm going to stop clicking my pen. <laughs> they, um, but yeah, that way there are things, there are multiple times. And a lot of parents, I have a lot of patients that the parent just feels better. If, like, I just need a doctor to look at this kid, look at my, my daughter. I, this is just weird to me. You know, I just want them looked at and, and I'm like, okay, let, I'm all for it because yeah. mother's intuition, we have to listen to that. It is yes. so good. Um, if, if a mom is worried about her kid and what she's telling me, I'm just not hearing the the thing to be worried about. I'm like, you know what? We just need to look at her. Let's get on video or, you know what? I'll, I'm going to have my, my backup doctor meet you at the clinic and let's, let's figure this out. Um, because sometimes there's something there and the mom just doesn't, she's so worried and so scared that mm -hmm. they can't articulate it the way that we need to hear. And there's just certain things that we as professionals are looking for. And, um, and sometimes it's hard for that mom to describe things. Yeah. Anyway, we're supposed to talk about homeschooling. <laughs> well, I, before we move on to that, actually, I was just, you know, when you said that, uh, I think, I think, I think it was William Osler or someone who had said that quote of listen to the patient, they're telling you the answer. So that's what yes. I was, yeah, right. That's what I was thinking uh -huh. when you were saying the mother's intuition, Anna, and I say that all the time too. It's, it is so good and strong. And if you listen to that, it, it, there, are, there are chances they might not be right, but you need to at least follow through with the concern. Um, right. But before we go into the homeschooling thing, I wanted to ask you what you think, and Anna too, what do you think, what type of people would like a direct primary care doctor and what type would like a more traditional doctor? A lot of times it comes down to what's their experience been so far. So if their experience has been that they generally aren't having to wait a long time, maybe they rarely go to the doctor um, and their experience has been that the doctor has been good and personable and kind and they haven't struggled with the, with the, um, you know, with the office staff. A lot of times it's the, it's the people that are fairly healthy and just come in for well visits and that's all they need. Um, typically they're not looking for something else. They don't, you know, they don't need anything else. But anybody who has used the, the, the medical system more than that and has gotten frustrated um, with anything or they're frustrated, one, if they're cash pay, uh, my prices are way cheaper than any other practice that's, that, that they would have to pay cash at. Um, and then the other thing would be if they just need a, that higher, they want to be able to contact their doctor at a moment's notice kind of thing. Um, and I can't say I always answer every text or every phone call that moment, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, let me call you back. And a lot of times the text, I can read it and be like, okay, I'll call them back at lunchtime, you know, or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's like, oh, I need to talk to them right now. Okay. Hang on whatever I'm doing. And sometimes it's like homeschooling and I'm like, okay, kids, everybody be quiet. I'm on a work call. Y'all need to be quiet. And I pick up my phone and talk to that parent, you know, or step out of the room and talk to the parent. The, um, it just kind of depends on the situation, but it is, I think that's the difference is it's kind of like people who become frustrated um, are a lot more likely to seek out this type of care. Yeah, I think I've experienced something similar. Uh, usually with, uh, of course, definitely families need to have the resources to be able to do that. You know, if they, if there is, and it's really nice to hear that you make your um, services more affordable for families and for big families with lots of kids, you know? So I feel like given if they have those resources, a lot of people that tend to require more care. So I've seen it with kids with special needs that have many 
specialists and they need a, a person that's actually coordinating that care uh, more extensively. I've seen them, um, you know, benefit from a, a primary care provider um, that is more like a concierge type medicine that can really take the time, focus, close the loop on everything, you know, because mm-hmm. um, while your p- panel is something we dream of, you know, the 250 right. patients, we can sometimes have panels that are two, three, 4,000, you know, right. so it does get difficult to um, close the loop with all the referrals and all of that. So I feel like that those patients really do benefit that have that higher um, requirement and more time, you know, mm-hmm. that sometimes harder for us, but we definitely try. So I'm curious, how does it work with referrals for you? Because if like a patient requires, say, a pulmonologist or something as a direct primary care physician, how do you make that process work? So really, it's just a matter of usually going onto that physician's website and filling out a form. To be honest, it takes about, you know, a few minutes to, to make sure I've got all the information on there. Um, I found in my previous practice, a lot of times it was the insurance company was causing all sorts of issues. But since I don't deal with insurance companies, for whatever reason, the other physician's office always handles it. I've never had a problem. Um, so and it and it hasn't been a problem like the the um, I do have because I'm in Texas and the whole Medicaid thing. I, there is a way to just have referral privileges for Medicaid um, here in Texas. It's not like that in every state. Um, but so I count like they they will take my referrals and my prescriptions and that kind of thing, even though I don't accept Medicaid as a as a um, practice. You feel like you can get them in in a timely fashion because I'm just thinking about my own life obviously I have 10 times the patients you have but yeah at 10 percent of the case I need to get them in tomorrow or today right well a lot of times with the major medical system here a lot of times I can call and get them in if I really need them in and we have I have a couple options um and I'm trying to build like as far as like private there are some private um pediatric specialists around the area I don't have one for every specialty but I know some for for several for several of the specialties and I'm trying to build that up um, as I learn about them and just try to and so really a lot of times it just takes me a few minutes to make that specialist to make that phone call um, and get them in but I'm not seeing you know making a phone call and having to be on the phone for y'all is like, and for me too, in my previous practice was like, oh, I have to make a phone call. And then, you know, that's going to, when am I going to see, you know, I have to do that in between patients and it's really hard to do, but that may be the only phone call I have to make regarding work that day. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big deal. <laughs> You're like <Right>. blown away. <laughs> it's just, that's the one downside of doing a podcast is people can't see my face. <laughs> <laughs> That was a, that was a shocked face for the audience. <laughs> I will definitely, even with like 250, 270 patients, however many I have, I don't really know. Um, I will definitely go like a couple days at a time without a work call at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some days I'll get like, I've, I had a morning one day that I like literally spent the entire morning from eight to 12 in front of my computer and on the phone. And I was like, what is happening? I don't understand. <laughs> Usually when it on Monday. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounds like a dream. And um, I'm glad that you were able to share this with our listeners, because a lot of people don't even know that it's an option that's Mm -hmm. out there. So that's really helpful for them to have an alternative. Um, But to talk about um, something that we get asked about so much in our practice, and I think this is something that a lot of families have considered or thought about or have personally gone through. And especially since the year that we've had recently, 
um, you know, have had to do inevitably <laughs> because of the circumstances. So um, homeschooling, it's a huge topic, but I wanted to know your, your personal journey with it because it's so inspiring that you do it um, on a personal level too. And such yeah. an increase, sorry to interrupt you, such an increase in the demand and the frequency and whatnot right. since COVID. Right. Yeah. So I actually started, um, we started homeschooling five years, five, five years ago, um, when my little girl was in first grade and, uh, we, we just, I had her in a private school and it was just too, um, it was, it just, it was expensive. And we realized this is not gonna work out well. And so, (laughs) and we were having to pay for after school care in order for me to pick her up. And it was just like, so it just, it just wasn't what we wanted and, um, and wasn't as feasible. And we just kind of felt like, why are we sending, one of our reasons was why were we sending our little girl for eight hours a day to someone else to raise her? And um, so, and not that, you know, I don't want to guilt anybody for doing that. You need to do it, do it. But that's, that was on our hearts is that we wanted to be the one influencing her. And we just, there were little things, even at a private school that were just influencing her that she was coming home talking about that we were just like, this isn't the influences that we want for, for our child. And, um, and at that point I was pregnant with our second child and yeah, I was. And, um, and so it was like, how are we going to do this when there's two of them? We can hardly afford this one. What are we going to do? You know, like there's no way. And of course prices are going to go up because that's how it works. And, um, and so we were discussing that and it was just like, we're just going to homeschool. And uh, I had several friends um, from my church and my community friends that uh, that also homeschooled. And so we went to an informational meeting and we were super impressed and uh, decided to jump in. And um, the first year we kind of just did like our own thing and it was first grade. And so we made sure she could already read. So that was, you know, we just kept reading with her and he did some math and I don't know, my husband actually did it. I didn't do it. I was working at that time. So my husband homeschooled her and then started and um, continued homeschooling with her. We did a homeschool co-op. It was great. And, um, then, uh, he, he started my son when he was four and pre-K, pre-K four. And, uh, then, so this year when we moved more in Alabama and kind of started going back and forth, my husband started doing more work and I started doing this job. So I took over the homeschooling. Um, I completely changed everything that he was doing. And um, spent a lot of time. I actually spent like most of last summer researching curriculums and getting ideas and trying to decide what I wanted to do because I just didn't, what he was doing was great for them. And they were, my little girl was getting tired of the curriculum. She wanted something new. And, uh, and I didn't like, I, I just wanted to be more involved than what they were doing and, uh, wanted to put my own style to it. So I switched it all up and, uh, and I, to be honest, I love it. I love every moment of it, even like you know, the times where it's like, oh my goodness, be quiet and just do your work or something. But, (laughs) but I love it. I love every moment of it. So So I have so many questions, but I just have to say this one thing. Okay. That it's, Mm -hmm. this is why friendship is beautiful. I'm sitting here looking at you and I'm thinking everything that you just said sounds like a nightmare for me, right? I'm (laughs) I'm the person that you described. I'm the one that I'm working, my husband's working, my kid, I have two kids, can't do more. Um, my kids go to school. They went to daycare. Um, you could say somebody yeah. else raised them. I don't. I don't feel that way. I feel like well, you know, we, we all I have, did it. Like yeah, yeah. I totally wasn't. Dave, my mom is a, is a doctor, and my dad worked every day, all day, and so 
So like I was completely raised by daycare. So I, I think I turned out okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is that you're just so lovable. Like I'm sitting here going like, wow, that sounds like a total nightmare to me, but I love you for it. (laughs) But I have so many questions. So how many kids do you have in your class now? Well, so actually in my homeschool class that I'm, that I'm working with, I actually have 14 children. Um, and that was not the plan, (laughs) but, um, I'm working with a ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Two are mine because my younger two are not old enough yet, but, um, which they're always in the classroom a lot though. And I'm like trying to like juggle baby on my hip and like the two-year-old or three-year-old is, I don't know what she's doing, but she's a trip. And, and, and while trying to teach the class, it's really exciting um, at times. But, um, but yeah, no, the age, the ages, it's like a one-room schoolhouse. It's the ages are five to 13 and um, it's, it's going, I, my real struggle for me has been wanting every kid to be being challenged and not being held back. Um, you know, and being, and being challenged at the level they're at, um, because they're all at different levels. And, um, and I really want everybody to be progressing. Um, I don't want to be leaving anybody behind in the dust and, you know, moving past them. And I don't want to be, uh, want to be like making the, the kids that get what we're talking about bored, um, or just not progressing because we, they already know that. And so what's the point? Um, and that has been my biggest challenge. And I can't say that I've totally figured it out. I've, I've got some things in place that I'm hoping are going to help that. And, uh, and we'll see, we'll see how, how it goes. So did people just come up to you and go, Hey, Dr. Beth, can you homeschool my child? Well, we all, this, I live on like a community. And so it was just kind of, it just kind of happened. I, I started just homeschooling my two, um, when we first moved there in January, um, and, uh, I, I pretty quickly added one other kid and that was easy, you know, adding one extra, <laughs> it, I say that was easy. She's also very, very opinionated and very excited little girl. And so <laughs> it was fun. And, um, so, um, and then, um, and then I kind of talked with one of the other moms that was homeschooling her children on her own. And she was just, she was so busy. And she was helping with other things on the, on, on the campus. And it was just like, would you like me to help you? Because I really would like to help you. And I offered. And, um, and so I took on her three, three of her boys. And, um, so for most of this past semester, that's what I've been doing is the, it's these six children. Um, and, uh, and then just about a month or so ago, um, I started adding the, the other (laughs) seven or eight or whatever it is. (laughs) And it was kind of an accident. It was just kind of like, it was kind of like everybody was trying to do their own thing on campus. And it was like, why are we all trying to struggle and do our own thing when we could put it all together and all the kids can progress together? Um, So I don't know, that's what we're doing. I recently got a helper. And so I'm hoping I, I just, I do need help. I can't do 14. It's not, I can't give them each the individual time that they need. Um, It's just not possible. And it's turning it, and I know it's not my favorite because now it's turning into more of a traditional classroom somewhat. And uh, I, the point, the joy of homeschooling is getting to give them their own individual attention and their own, meet them where they are and, uh, and go at their pace. And that's not really some, some of the things we're certainly able to do that in some subjects. Um, but a lot of the subjects that we're doing, like we do, we do a Bible course all together. Well, that doesn't have to be individualized history is all together and everybody just understands it on their level, whatever level they understand it. You know, the five-year-old's going to understand 
you know, something about Columbus and some ships, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, the, 13, the, the 13 year old is going to understand like it was Columbus discovering America, you know, like they'll understand it on a different level. And so um, that, that I do want to talk about. I want to discuss the concept of classical education versus traditional education. Um, so the idea of like what public schools do, what most private school, almost most private schools do, unless they call themselves a classical school, um, are just, are they're teaching a set amount of information that they believe is at the child's level that the child is going to learn. Um, and the next year they'll learn the next level of information. Well, the way classical education works is we throw a ton of memory, memory work oftentimes, um, just a ton of information. It usually involves, these curriculums usually involve a lot of reading out loud to the child um, and, uh, and a lot of little memory songs or little things. And so basically, and then the next year oftentimes or within the next two to three years, you actually go over that same information again and it's kind of like putting brush strokes over it. And every time the, pa the, the patient, the child <laughs> sees that information, they understand it on a higher level. I know <laughs> they understand it a little bit more. And, um, and so when they hear things like, for example, my four-year-old can sing a song about what a past participle is um, in the English language. He, he doesn't know what a past participle is, but he can sing the song that gives you the definition. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything to him but he can sing the song. So when he's in, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, I don't know when you learn what an actual past participle is later, but you know, but when he hears those words over and over and when he finds, I mean, he was, he's going to understand that and hang on to that um, just at a, a young, a, an earlier level. And it's not going to be hard for him to understand when he gets there, he's going to be like, Oh yeah, I know what a past participle is, even though he didn't understand it at all when he hears it and he's at the level, it's kind of like the information's already there. And then when your brain matures to understand it, it's like you already understand it. I don't know if that makes sense. Does sure. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's how I felt so, like in Greece growing up. I knew yeah. all the songs, but I had no clue what they meant. <laughs> and then you went, oh, no. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's the concept, basically. So my kids, but they, they learn all these songs. So, like, this semester, they memorized all the states and capitals in a song. And so my five-year-old can sing all the states and capitals. Um, and, uh, and so can most of the class, I mean, the, most of the class, I would say there are very few in the class that couldn't sing the whole song by themselves. Um, and, uh, they sing a timeline song that goes from the beginning, which is creation until, um, until current. And, uh, they sing, um, what else can they, they, they're learning Latin in this way. They have a little, they learned all the body systems. So they have a song about the circulatory system and the digestive system and the endocrine system. And they have all these songs. They don't know what half of them mean. And it's really funny when I explain them because I want to explain all of them. <laughs> they ask me all of these questions. And that's funny is they stump me on questions because there just isn't a good answer, you know? I don't know. They just ask the funniest questions. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that in a way that you would understand, you know, <laughs> with your eight-year-old brain. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have so many questions, but I have two comments. First of all, okay. first of all, I'm just amazed by your level of patience, first of all, to be able to do this. And then just amazed at your ability to be able to do this and give these 14 children personalized attention. And the first question that comes to my mind, which I've seen parents in my practice really struggle with this, where they want to provide that personalized care, that personalized education, because they feel, you know, at whatever level, there's parts of the current education system that might be lacking. 
you know, and, and they want to do something about that. And they are interested in homeschooling. There's, you know, there's some families that just cannot do it. They don't have the ability. They don't have the time um, with their work schedule. So we totally get that. But for those parents that are thinking about it, um, it seems like an overwhelming task. You know, you make it seem so effortless, but it does seem uh, kind of overwhelming because I've had people that are very educated come to me and say, you know, I don't know if I can teach them (laughs) grade level math and English and answer those questions and do that. So it seems overwhelming. (laughs) 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 Exactly. And that's how I feel too. Even having, you know, a doctorate degree, you do feel overwhelmed that how can you do that? So for those parents, what are your tips um, that are interested? Where can, what sources can they go to learn more? There, there, there really are so many sources that it's, is super overwhelming. (laughs) That's, that's what I figured. Yeah. So, but there really is, it's really about finding kind of one of the places maybe to start is like YouTube and I haven't, I haven't searched this, so I don't know exactly what you'll get, but YouTube like, or just Google or whatever, like homeschool mom and find one of, find somebody that you can follow that, that speaks to you that you're like, oh yeah, I get this mom. She get, you know, she would get me. Um, Cause there are so many homeschool moms out there blogging, YouTubing, doing podcasts like this, you know, that kind of thing that you can listen to and be like, oh yeah, I could do that. But the beauty of this is, is it doesn't have to look the way you homeschool, the way all of my friends, like I have a whole community of homeschool friends here, here in my hometown that none of us homeschool the same. All of us are doing different things. We bounce around all sorts of ideas. What are you doing for math? What are you doing for this? How are you doing this? You know, how much are you getting done in a day? Really one of the main, main, like, plans of homeschool or the way to plan it is to make your plan. And I say kind of hold, I say, hold it with an open hand here. It's more of an outline. <laughs> it's not like your lesson plans. And this is what you must do every day because it doesn't happen that way, especially if you've got younger toddlers in the house or whatever, or you know what, it, it's raining and you couldn't do your thing that you needed to do outside. Or um, it's a beautiful day. And the kids are like, just super wiggly. And you're just like, you know what, we're going to go outside. We'll do this tomorrow. Um, and, uh, that's the beauty of it. You can do it. If you know, your kid does not wake up till 10 AM and their brain does not function until that time. Fine. You school at 10 AM and whatever you use the morning to get your workout in and your coffee and whatever else you want to do. Um, and you can do all these other things. You can structure your day and your schedule, whatever way works for you and your family. Um, I know moms that like work nights and manage to school their kids in a couple hours during the day. Um, that's, uh, that's possible. The, um, homeschooling takes so much less time, especially if you've got older kids that you can set to tasks or give them a checklist. Um, you can totally school kids and, and you could actually, there are online video things and you can, you can actually spend no time homeschooling your children. They can do it. Um, especially the older ones. Um, so they have like outline curriculums uh, that parents can go through. That oh, they there are follow. so many. <laughs> there are so many. Um, and it really is. I think one of my so one of my favorite resources is called Kathy Duffy Reviews. And I can't remember if it's with a C or a K. But if you search that, then you'll find it. And um, she did not pay me to say this. But <laughs> everything right. about the Peeny Pals is non-sponsored. I feel the need right. to mention that. Yeah. So so that. 
I just, I, when I found her website, I was like, oh, this is wonderful because she reviews every homeschool curriculum. And so I was able to click through the reviews on these things and find, nope, that one's not gonna work. Nope, that one's not gonna work. Nope, I don't like that one. Ooh, I wanna look at this one. And it has the link to their website. I can go look at the website, look through what I think about it and maybe some review, other reviews or most of these homeschool curriculums on their website, they have like, they have a sample section. And so they have the first chapter sampled for you right there that you can download and look at. So you look through the first, you know, first chapter or something and you're like, oh, I really like that they talk about this or this is really structured well or set up the way I, I think would work for my family. Or you're like, oh my gosh, I don't like this at all. This is too busy. This page is crazy. I don't want it. And um, and you move on. Um, so there's that. There also are like all encompassing curriculums. You just pick like, you just say, I'm just going to go with this curriculum and they send you, you they send you the entire thing. That's all you need. Fascinating. How if I imagine, I was going to say if I were in your shoes, but just, okay, I can't, can't imagine, imagine that. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I imagine a world in which a person such as yourself would wonder, uh, like, how do you, I guess, how do you make sure they don't get, they don't fall behind? Right. So, well, there are, you can order standardized tests if you wanted to, to make sure your kid was on grade level. I think the bigger fear that I've thought of more often is not necessarily falling behind because I know the curriculum that I'm using are good curriculums and, and they're on level with what I know she, they should be learning. Um, but um, mainly because I'm using well-known curriculums, um, ones that are just, they've been around, like one of them is one that I went to school and used all the time. And so we use that with my, it's a well-known public school. It's a Becca, um, well-known private school um, uh, curriculum. And so that's what we use for several years. We don't use it now. Um, but, um, but so they, like, I know that they're good, well done curriculums. Um, and the, the, probably the bigger worry is, is there holes? Like, am I, am I missing something? So if you don't buy a complete all well-rounded curriculum and then follow that one year to year to year and stay with that same curriculum, did you miss something? Is there a hole that you, that you didn't get? And here's the thing about that. Um, if, if your child knows how to read and you do, and they know how to do math, then you didn't miss any holes. The, the that big is, thing, that, that exact question is actually something a mom like me who sends her kids to traditional school actually thinks about as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if that is not a unique to homeschooling question, right? Right. And I totally agree with you. At some point you resolve to the fact that, sure, I remember when I got to university, I sat next to this one guy and he seemed to know a lot more about a subject than I'd ever heard of. But then it, that, it, at that point, you're a self-learner and you educate yourself. Right. So you learn you as long as they have a really you want them to, to finish school or gra be graduating with a love of learning. As if they know how, where to go to find more information, how to find good information. So one of the things that I'm gonna, I'm making a big focus in my homeschool curriculum, starting um, with my 11 year old, is logic. Can she? Does she know how to think? When she sees something, can she decide? Hey, that makes sense, and that follows the rules of logic. Or no, that that I, if I think about that, like that can't be true because of this. Um, and so just helping. So they don't teach, there is no such thing as logic in a public school curriculum, as far as I know. Um, and so they, and that may be wrong on some levels, I don't know, but they, um, but so I'm teaching her how to think and how to look for, for true information. And we can have those conversations all day long. Um, the other 
probably the other thing that I say all the time is kids don't learn learn how to be good adults by from other kids. They learn how to be good adults from adults. And so very profound. We, but, and we, but we'll look what we've done over the past, you know, 50, hundred years or whatever. We have stuck children in a grade level where they're only around their grade level peers and they rarely see kids from other ages, either older or younger. You know, sometimes they might play on the playground with kids a little bit older or younger than them, but for the, and for sure, not now because only one classroom is allowed on the playground at, at a time, but, <laughs> but uh, not with COVID, but, but we've done this and it's actually, we've shown that it's not good for language development. Language development, the, learn, the way they learn a higher vocabulary and learn more words and learn to speak in more ordered sentences is by listening to older people speak. But they're in an environment where all they hear is their peers. Um, and, uh, and so that's the beauty. That's, that's one of the beauties that, that we don't often think about. I didn't think about it until I was doing this. Um, but if you go back, what, less than 100 years, everybody was in a one-room schoolhouse. Um, and so they were. They were, inter- they were integrating constantly. The older kids were helping with the younger kids. Um, and you know, most kids were schooled. A lot of kids were just schooled at home, where the older siblings schooled the younger sibling. This this model of education that we're doing is fairly modern. This is new, um, and so it's kind of interesting to see how how it's working and what we like about it and what we don't. So you have to judge society and see <laughs> what you think if it's working or not. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. When I was actually doing some research about it because this is something that comes up so often because I think more and more people are looking into it. I think in the past, I don't know if you guys agree, but in the past, there was a little stigma created with kids that were homeschooled, you know, exactly. So, you know, there was that, and I always went to public schools. Uh, I had working parents. So, you know, I led that life and I definitely see their pros and cons in, in, in both situations. And I always tell my parents, you really have to do what works for you. Um, you know, what, what works for your family and your finances and all of that. And in, for a while, I kind of, you know, did believe in a little bit of the stigma where maybe this was something that was for people of privilege that had the ability that had the time to, you know, homeschool their kids. And then of course, we always heard, you know, are they going to be socialized? Are they going to have, um, you know, changes in their personality because they're not going to be around other kids? All of these things uh, are definitely, like you mentioned, part of the stigma. But as I kind of researched it a little bit more recently, uh, I was seeing some statistics, which you probably know of, but two and a half million students are now homeschooled. And they say that it's increasing about five to 8% yearly. And um, something that I thought was surprising was even um, minority groups are homeschooling more and more, which I thought would be, you know, usually they're more of the working class. So I would think it would be harder for them, but it seems like they're taking that a priority too. So I I found that really interesting. And another thing that I, that I read was that kids that are homeschooled actually do a lot more uh, activities um, that are, you know, sports and uh, community outreach and community service. And so they are still socially involved, but not in the traditional sense with schools. So do you notice that in your group of of kids that you homeschool as far as socialization is concerned? Yeah, I actually, what, what kind of one, there's one memory that stands out about two years ago, we did, we did martial arts with my little girl was one of her, one of our activities that we were able to do. And, um, this older man that's probably, I don't know, 67 year old years old comes up to me and says, 
your daughter is so socially mature. I just had a whole conversation with her. She is wonderful. What are you doing with her? And I was like, homeschooling? (laughs) 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 But it was such a, like, that's what struck me. I was like, I thought she was, you know, like, and I, my, my daughter is super social and, and loves talking, you know, like, but she's able to carry a conversation with any age group of person and including, you know, you know, educated adults because she knows how to talk to everybody because she's, she's with us all the time. Um, and, uh, and she hears us, you know, constantly, you know, the kids learn how to interact with society by going with us everywhere and doing things. How do you go to the store? How do you be kind to the person in line? How do you do all these things? And she was doing that all day long with my husband and that kind of thing. Um, you know, they'd finish school, they'd go run errands, they'd do things, you know, she watches how he interacts with everybody. Um, you know, in different, different, um, groups and things that we're in. And I, I just, it really depends how you homeschool. I definitely, I I definitely understand the stigma of like the super, I don't know, protected homeschool kid that just never learned how to talk to people. But that's only going to happen if you literally don't go out of your house and talk to people. If your kid is involved in sports, if y'all are involved in any kind of homeschool co-op, um, if you're involved in any community activities, there's no chance that anything like that is going to happen. Um, and you have so much more time to do these things because you're not tied to the school schedule and you're not exhausted. Like I have patients that it's like they do school and then they, you know, they do after school sport or whatever. And then they go and do their baseball game three or four times a week or something. And they're getting home at 9 p.m. and then having to do homework for three hours or something. And then the kid goes to bed. And so I'm ta- trying to talk to this parent about your child needs more sleep. <laughs> and they're like, well, they can't. And I'm like, Uh, you know, but it really doesn't take eight hours of school to school your child and get this information in them. Um, And so it really, you are hitting some powerful, powerful (laughs) stuff here. I also don't want to be like super anti, because I know some families, this is just not an option. And some families, you know, this is like, totally, you can totally, and I have, of course, plenty of friends, and I know plenty of people whose children are in traditional regular school, and who are great kids, and wonderful parents, and of course, most of us came out of regular traditional school, and obviously, we're okay. I do kind of think that the school is different now than it was 20, 30 years ago when we were in school, Um, so you take that comment with a little bit of a grain of salt, because I don't know if I totally agree with it, because I don't know what the schools are like now, Um, and I think I, I just wanted to add, you know, I think the biggest thing, like you said, is dedicated parents. Um, yes. And I think regardless of which setting they choose to school their children, I think you can really impact them. I think the the one thing you said that really stuck out to me is that your daughter, you know, or your kids facilitating that want to learn and that need to learn, you know, often I I'll tell my, I'll tell my families, you know, I went to medical school, not to learn the information, but to learn how to learn, you know, of course we learned a lot of information, but part of school is getting that excitement and getting that motivation. And I think Mm -hmm. the current traditional system, a lot of that, um, a lot of children might not be as excited, but I think with good motivational parenting, and good, um, you know, if you value that, um, regardless of the setting, I think that's a big thing that stands out for me, um, in motivating your children, but I totally agree with you. Different, different strokes for different folks. Right. 
Right. Yeah, and I, for one, have been chewing on everything you've been saying and just sitting here mulling over. And then your story about your oldest and, you know, this gentleman coming and saying how mature she is. I've been sitting here as my two go to traditional school and I'm like, I wonder what people would say about my two. And all, <laughs> all I can think about is I just want to I just want to make this real for a minute. Um, so bring us back down to planet Earth. So all I can think about with my two is that the first five minutes of meeting someone they've never met before is they're that shy, kind of, hiding, and well, they're all hide. They're they're not that kind, but it's just like you're kind of like it's okay. You you can say something. It's fine. You can answer the questions. Why are you talking like that kind of thing? And then after five minutes, I'm like, put away the karaoke machine. You don't know them well enough to sing for them live. <laughs> Anna. Right. right. <laughs> we just went from one normal to the other. <laughs> like, where? <laughs> what are you thinking? No, <laughs> but that's that, so- their karaoke routines are the highlight of my visits. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no, but that's that was just a, a mild little anecdote. But but I want to know, this is this is something I really want to want to know. Since the world is your oyster, because I'm still I'm still such a fan of traditional schooling. I do what I love about this podcast, this particular episode, is that it is not one size fits all. You've definitely given me so much to think about, and I'm sure you've given our viewers so much to think about. And and as Anna has so eloquently put, everyone's different, families are all different, and look at all the options that are available to us in this generation. We're so lucky. But uh, I want to know you're in charge at, like you're really in charge of what's going on with your kids day. Right. And, and uh-huh. you are like the, the world is your oyster. Their world is your oyster. Are you incorporating meditation or mindfulness in this at all? Cause if I was in your shoes, I'd be all over that. A general thing is, is I'm teaching them what my values are, my values, what my beliefs are, how I think that should look in their life how that should change their life, how that should affect their life, their behavior, um, how they should capture their thoughts um, and and take them captive and, and say, you know, wait a second, is that thought true? Is that thing that that kid over there said about me, is that true? Should I internalize that or, or I need to ignore that thing that that kid said because it's not true. Um, and, uh, and so those kind of things, like how to handle stress and how to handle things and, and take things um, and search for truth, I guess, is my is one of the big things. But that's the beauty of it is I can t- take every situation that they it's I, I really love it because I feel like we can have a totally and, you know, I ha- I don't I haven't raised a child that goes that's away from me all day. Um, and so I don't know. I know that this is possible if you're not with them all day. But I think it's just faster and deeper because I can take captive every single little situation that happens in her life because she can come talk to me whenever she wants. Um, I'm there for most of the situations, you know, when we're confronted with things that I'm like, oh, that's not really appropriate. I'm right there with her. And, you know, whether it's something we see on TV or something that somebody else says or whatever, usually not all, of course, not always. I'm not with my daughter 24 seven. She goes out and plays and, you know, all sorts of things. But, um, but she, but it's just that I can help her process all of thing, those things. And so, you know, and I can help her think through those things. Like, so well, what do you think about that? You know, and, and say, well, you know, I think that that's a, a reasonable way of thinking about it. But did you think about it from this angle, you know, and, um, and guide her through those situations? Um, and so I think it's really wonderful. And I really think that parents with, with their kids going to school, it's really important. Like, because what does your kid say when you say, how was your day? They go, fine. And that's all you know. Not really. They talk no, yours don't. Yours tell you all sorts of things. Good. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a yeah, that's a Pandora's box for me. It's like they talk over each other. It's my turn. I want to oh, tell you. That's so good, Sammy, because that's what you want to know. You want to know all these things and all their experiences. Oh yeah, totally. And it's wonderful. Yeah. And so, no, but I, in general, especially as they get older, they're going to come home and go, you know, whatever. I don't know. Right. I forgot. <laughs> What'd you do yeah. at school? I forgot. You know, and so like starting to ask, try to ask, like ask questions in different ways. Ask, you know, what made them, wait, what made you happy today? Tell me something that made you sad today. Was anything new? Um, did something, anything funny happen in class? You know, and try to get really what's, what's going on. Who are their friends? Ask about their friends. And then remember like, hey, your friend that was going to go do this thing. Did they do it? Did they have fun? You know, or whatever. Find out all their friends' names. Find out their teacher's yeah. name. What do they like about their teacher? What do they not like? You know, and even though the little junior high drama is probably so annoying and boring, like, listen to it (laughs) and learn all these things. (laughs) Yeah, that's great advice. I I love what you particularly said about, you know, really describing what you're feeling, because we actually just did. Um, a little podcast, uh, a collaboration where we talked about stress in kids. And a lot of times we don't recognize um, stress, you know, that comes along with schooling, being in school, bullying. There's so many pressures out there, you know, with everything going on. And that's one thing that we we always talk about is getting kids to actually communicate how they're feeling. Because as adults, you know, I think we're all guilty of it too. We have a very limited emotional vocabulary, you know, like you said, when you ask, how are you doing? We're like, we're fine. We're okay. We're not so great. We have like four or five things that we say, you know, um, even as adults. So I, I love what you said there about really getting to details. You know, what are you thankful for? What are you grateful for? What did, you know, what was great that happened today? What was not so great and how it made you feel. So I love that. And I think that can be implemented, you know, for, for kids in all types of educational settings. Right. Right. I also, yeah, I also want to say that there's often, if you, if, if a parent really has a heart for, for really wanting this for their child, like start looking around, look around. I mean, is there a way for you to adjust your job? Is there a way for you to change your job? You know, either mom or dad, you know, doing something. Is there a way, can you scale back your living um, style so that, I mean, we did that. We sold our fancier, you know, more expensive home was one of the things that, not because of homeschooling, but like, well, maybe anyway, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but we, we scaled back because we were like, we want to stay a one income family and we wanted, and we wanted to be able to do more things with our family, go on vacations and, and invite people over and, and feed them whatever we wanted and not have to be like, well, if we invite them over, then we have to feed them you know, and that costs money. And, and, you know, so we didn't want to have to worry about that. We wanted to be able to give generously and share generously and willingly. And so we scaled back our, our living um, situation. We don't buy expensive cars, you know, those kinds of things. Like think about like really talk with your, your spouse or whatever about what, and maybe, or, or really look at your finances, like where you're spending your money and where you're spending your time. You know, maybe most of your time when you get home is spent on your iPad or your phone or whatever. Like, Really look at where you're spending your time. Your phone will tell you that, by the way. You can go through it and it'll tell you where you're spending your time. You just dated <laughs> yourself big time. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the fact that you sounded surprised that the phone tells you how much you've no, been but, eating. <laughs> it does. But, <laughs> but look at your bank account. Where are you spending your money? Like, where are your priorities? And if and maybe it's, you know, maybe this is a time to really evaluate that and be like, you know what? I want my kids to be my top priority. And I don't know what they're learning at school. I, 
I, I don't know if you could right now. I know in the past you could go and, and visit the schools and those kind of things. Maybe you could email some teachers and, and ask for some work so you could look over what the kids are actually learning and those kind of things. Um, and um, I've actually had parents do that in the past and the teachers refused, which was a huge red flag. Like, what do you mean? I can't see what my the work my kids have done. Um, and so, but that's a true story. I'm not making that up. Like, I, I don't know. Um, and so, um, so it's just really, it, it, it's just, maybe it's a time to really look at what you want your life to look like and what you want for your children and, and what you want for your family and how can you prioritize that? And maybe you can't change your job, you know, situation. So look around your community, who in your community, or I don't know, put it out on next door or your Facebook or something. Would somebody be willing to, you know, are you homeschooling? Would you be willing to take my kid on for, you know, some affordable price or we can trade some sort of service or I'll cook, you know, an extra meal and you homeschool my kid or something. I don't know. Like you could make it up however you want. This can look like anything you want it to look like. Interesting. Um, but, I, but it really can. I have friends that hire, I have a friend that hired a nanny and the nanny turned into her homeschool assistant. And, you know, now she, I, because as it happened, now she's homeschooling, she has five. So I don't know how many, there's, I guess, three, four that she's homeschooling now. And so now it's like, she home, she does some of the school. And it's funny because like, you know, one of her kids won't do math with her, or won't do reading with her, but he'll do it with the babysitter, you know? And so like, it's like they can do this team approach and they switch off and one of them watches the baby and, you know, that kind of thing. And so maybe that's possible, um, you know, something like that. Yeah, I just thought of that. That's actually interesting to get creative. I've seen some families where they'll do traditional schools and then when they get to middle school or high school, when there's a little bit more independent learning and there's more of a curriculum, they'll switch over to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that really helps each individual child kind of cater um, to their strengths and what they want to focus on. Because what you mentioned earlier is something I'm hearing now more than ever is the stress that's on a lot of high schools students and a lot of pressure that I think in that parents put on maybe unknowingly or, you know, a, a society career options, you know, there's, it's kind of like a rat race, you know, and I see a lot of kids in high school getting really burnt out because yeah. they're doing so many extracurriculars in addition to the eight hours of schooling, and then they're not sleeping. And, you know, with all the social media and all the information that's thrown at them, you know, their minds are still developing and they're still growing. And so they're not given that flexibility to learn at their own pace. And so I thought that was really interesting when I talked to some of my patients that they can utilize that option later on when they have more flexibility uh, with the older kids. So I don't know. I still yeah, agree one, with that. Yeah. One I, of the things about homeschooling high school, um, a lot of people think that that sounds super overwhelming. And to be honest, I'm a little bit worried about it myself. I'm not there yet. But um, I've listened some things that I've listened and some friends that have been there. Like, it's really not you can make your it's not hard to make your own transcript. Um, the there there are so many resources online to help you with that. So many people that you can talk to so many programs that you can just we're going to do this curriculum and they're going to give us a transcript and we don't have to do anything. Um, and uh, and also there there are, the statistics have been for several years now that homeschool children actually get into college at higher rates than regular school um, children. And then we actually, homeschool children actually score better on ACT and SAT um, overall than not by a whole lot, but by some, 
um, than, than public school children. And so like, you're not just, I say that not to say that it's better or whatever, but to say that you're not inhibiting your child in any way, um, by doing this and you're not going to hurt your child by using, as long as you're using a program that has good, you know, a, a good, um, reputation, um, that kind of thing. And you're not just making up something <laughs> that then your child is going to be fine if they want to go to college or if they don't want to go to college or whatever. Um, and they could say your child knows from the time they're 14 that they're going to do this career. Mm-hmm. Well, then you can tailor their entire high school experience to that career and you can tailor, they can go ahead and start working, you know, in that job when they're 15 or 16, um, or, you know, in, in some sort of in, entry level job in that field or something like that. Maybe they'll do that and figure out, Whoa, I don't want to do this. Um, and most, most of, um, I would say all of the people that I know, they go ahead and take in starting in 10, I think when they're 15, I think is how it is in my local community college, they can start taking courses at the local community college. Mm -hmm. They're super cheap because they're dual credit courses. They're way cheaper than your regular enrollment in a community college. Um, And you're getting high school and college credit for it. So by the time you finish high school, you have 18 or more hours of college credit behind you. Hmm. Think of how much money that saves. Then when they go to college, if they go to a, they could go to an out-of-state school or something, or they go to um, an in-state school, but it takes off a whole year of, or at least a semester, possibly two years of, um, of college that you're not having to pay for. So to rewind a little bit to what Anna was talking about, um, Anna, what you said really resonated with me and it's something actually one of my best friends in Canada and I speak about often. But what you said about the stress, uh, the stress level that the teenagers feel and and Bethany, you touched upon it a little bit, too, with this, like they have to go to school for, you know, however many hours they come home, they go to their activity, they come home, they do three hours of homework and then it's 11 o'clock and they have to sleep and wake back up at five o'clock. That's a societal problem, too. It is. Uh, yeah. So it's not it's not necessarily the. There are sometimes parents inadvertently are pressuring the children without knowing, but the, the also the parents, I think sometimes I would say like myself personally, you just kind of feel this pull to go with the grain because that's just the way society has had it. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, this is what my best friend and I, and, and I were talking about, but it's like, if your kid is in gymnastics um, in I, I'm going to say in America, I, I would think that other countries might be similar, but I know it. I've noticed it a lot as a culture here. Your child is in gymnastics and you have them in once a week. Suddenly, somewhere along the road, you can't do once a week anymore. Suddenly, it became really competitive and it's three times a week and it's two hours every time. And you have to buy X, Y, and Z outfits for X, Y, and Z competitions. And mm-hmm. you suddenly are pigeonholed into this one category. Your child is pigeonholed into this one thing and they have to decide, are they going to keep doing this thing and get better at this one thing because it's going to eat away at all their personal time or not? That's yeah. one thing I've noticed with the structure of the way that after school right. programs well, are. And then there's this big pressure on you have to stay in this because you, your parents have invested all of this and you've invested all this time. And, you know, I see I see them sometimes they, they've been in it for a year or two and it was really fun. But now they don't even like it anymore. Exactly. Um, and then there's all this pressure within that. I think one of the reasons they start not to like it anymore, because when they started, it was fun. And, oh, I'm good at it? Well, cool. Let yeah. me keep doing this. And I see this in almost every sport. One of the things that one that this stands out to me is cheerleading because I cheered um, in high school and college. And so it's like, 
Um, you know, I, I pay attention more to that, but oh my goodness, it's become so competitive. Mm-hmm. Like nothing else in this child's life matters except yeah. for how well they're doing on the cheerleading squad. Um, and their competitions and all that kind of stuff. And they go to practice 18 hours a week or something. I don't know, really. But but um, but then there's so much pressure. If yes. you lose this competition, yes. then your life is over, you yes. know, or something. Like, it's just so, it's not fair to these kids. Mm-hmm. Why are we stressing them out so much over something that, to be honest, I mean, think about it. Whatever sport thing or activity that we were involved in, even if we were super good at it in junior high, high school, maybe even college, you know, now in our thirties and forties and whatever, does that even matter? We don't even think about it. It doesn't rarely at all, you know, now. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, we're making these children stress about something. So to be honest, inconsequential, Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a blast. And we want to make this fun for them and we want them to, to succeed and we want them to do well. Um, but it really needs to be student, the student driving that, mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. not the parents, like you must do well at this. And so I, I do, I think it's a societal trap that, that society is getting sucked into and we don't even realize it. Yeah. Uh, For my I, girls, the only thing that was mandatory was swim. And that yeah. was, because I considered that a life skill, not an activity. Right. So it's like you, had, you know, from, from an early age, they were like, you know, babies actually, where we were talking about comfortable being comfortable in water. But then from like the age of two, I needed them to be in swim lessons. And also because of our personal experience as pediatrician, we've seen too many drownings, each of us right. to, you know, be comfortable. But um, I don't, this is such a great conversation. I think that we're starting to get on at a point where we have to start wrapping it up. There's two other things, you know, we want to talk about the take home message, but there's one other thing that we really wanted to touch upon with you real quick. And if you could just kind of give us a, a quick blurb about people who don't homeschool, but have been forced to do remote learning um, mm-hmm. over this last year. Do you have any tips for them from where you sit and your experience that you've gathered as a homeschool teacher now? How do they help their kids succeed with like remote learning, how do they help them focus? I hear this all the time. I know you probably do too, Anna, right? That yeah. they're home learning. Um, I feel like 50% of children really thrive in this home learning, remote learning atmosphere and environment. Um, there are side effects to that too, which we could talk about some other time, but 50% struggle. Yeah. So what would you say to them? Um, well, I, I, I hear about it a lot um, and I see people talking about it a lot in social media and stuff and how it's a struggle. I, I think the one, my one quick thing is that a lot of, a lot of these struggles that parents are having, if, if they want to consider looking at a more traditional, um, a regular homeschool curriculum, um, they, may, they may find it a better fit. Um, their child could still do everything online, could still do, but they could be able to tailor the program and the 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 way the program is structured that would fit their child's learning style better. And it could still be online. It could still be, um, you know, uh, all student driven, especially in high school and and some in in junior high, where you still the parent still doesn't have to be involved um, or less involved. Um, and for the parents of younger kids that are having to like try to make their kids focus on that kind of thing, and you have to log in at a certain time and do all this at a certain time, just entertain that thought that the, you know, look at this information, because what if you could do that same information on your own schedule and not on the, the virtual school schedule, if you're already trying to do this from home. So, but then the parents that, you know, maybe look at that or that's just not for them, or they're, they want to keep going with this. Um, my tips would be is, 
one is I haven't really done this. And so I'm trying to figure out like, but my children did do with a Becca. One of the ways of doing a Becca is to just, is to watch their videos and it's a teacher teaching and they're sitting, they're watching as if they're in the classroom. Um, and they're actually, are, it is a video of a classroom and they're watching other kids do the class. Um, and the teacher frequently talks to the kids at home. Um, and, uh, and so getting them to sit there and focus, like, one is don't always think that, especially the younger children, they flip around, they flip upside down, they're sitting sideways on their chair, you know, all of these things, and you think they're not listening. A lot of them are listening. Um, and so let them, you know, do this in whatever environment or weekly thing, as long as you can say, you know, hey, what did, you know, ask, listen to what they're talking about for a few minutes and then ask your kid a question. Can they answer the question? Um, and if you're like, oh, they're not paying attention at all, then, you know, that's a different issue. But a lot of times they are paying attention. So let the little ones kind of, you know, wiggle and do all of the things and, you know, that kind of thing while they're while they're listening. Um, I think especially for the older ones, like giving them some sort of a motivation, like the same thing we do when we have a task that we don't want to do, like try to make it just think about how you how we function, um, how you function as an adult. If there's some paper we need to write or some whatever, don't we give ourselves little goals um, and take it in a stepwise fashion? Um, and we're like, okay, I have to get to this point before I can, and, and then I can go get a cookie, or then I can take a walk around the house, or then I can play, you know, read my book or play a video game or whatever. And you're gonna have to keep those things to a minimum, but um, because obviously they can't take over the whole thing. But maybe giving your child a little tiny, you know, you can't play any, you know, one way of doing it is you can't play any of video games until you're done with your school stuff. Or if the kid can amend to this, and some of them won't be able to because they'll throw fit every time you do this. But hey, you finish two subjects and you get 15 minutes on the game. You know, set the timer. Here you go. Um, and we all have timers on our phones. It's easy to do. They have the, the kid probably has his own phone, you know. Um, that kind of thing. Or, you know, you just say, hey, you finish this section and, and it'll be snack time and, and we'll do this. Or then we'll go for a walk and then we'll come back and finish the other two sections or something like that. Well, I, I what you said is very, it's very good for parents to hear because that's something that I also recommend. Uh, when you're when you're at home, you have to be really careful with this remote learning. They still have to get up. They still have to, when it's recess time, I wouldn't be allowing them to sit there on their phone and do screen time. They should right. get up and they should get some sunshine and they should actually get, you know, some exercise. Um, they still have to do the get outside, exercise every day, get good rest, get good sleep, you know, and nurture themselves in different ways. Be careful about letting them snack too much. That's a, that's a bit mm -hmm. of a pitfall with home learning right. too and that can become problematic and make them sluggish if they're constantly spiking their blood sugar up as well. I don't, what do you think, Anna? Yeah, totally. I was just going to add that the pandemic for me in my patient population highlighted a couple of things. Like you mentioned, there's, it goes 50, 50. You have those parents that say this will never work for us. We have no structure. We're not, you know, he's not able to learn. Um, and they, for whatever reason are not able to provide that structure. And then on the other hand, I see families saying, you know, this gives us a lot of flexibility, um, where he was having trouble focusing, um, and needing medication for his ADHD. Now he's off that medicine because he has, um, you know, he can go at his own pace. We can set our own curriculum. We can set our own timetable. And so I see uh, the the one 
grateful thing that we have from this pandemic is that I think parents have have started to pay attention to their kids in which environments they do really well and which environments don't work for them. So I think my biggest take home is, is using this opportunity to pay attention to that, what works for them and what doesn't. The main reason that I, that I love this conversation is that um, we do get so stuck uh, on the societal expectations and goals of traditional learning that this is the perfect opportunity to talk about all the different variations. That's great. And so Dr. Beth, since we obviously could talk to you until the cows come home, that, that was specially for you, by the way. Right, um, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, do, what are your take-home messages for our audience? And thank you so much. I mean, this has just been such a great conversation. Good. And I would love to come back and talk about whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the biggest take-home is, is like I kind of tried to... I, th- I think I said, like, don't stress about homeschooling. Like, it really can look however you want it to look. It can it can be tailored to your family. Um, your your plan for that day is more of like a an outline, and maybe you get it done that day, and maybe you don't. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Um, it really can be structured or 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 unstructured <laughs> to whatever level you're comfortable with. Um, one of the, so a couple of things that I wanted to, to not miss saying one of my favorite podcasts, um, I have a couple of podcast recommendations. Um, one of them is called Institute for Excellence in Writing. And, uh, you mean, you mean the well child and then right, the, the well child is my favorite one. And I did listen to all of them before and I love all of them. The um, and, uh, and so I, I, it made me miss Dr. Smith so much. Aww, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but yeah, Institute for Excellence in Writing, it's IEW is there, is their, um, little abbreviation, IEW dot org, I think, but they have a podcast. And one of my favorite things that they said that has just really made me think is you can't get out of a child's brain what you haven't put in. So, and it's so true, right? But we don't think about that. So your child is not going to write poetry or speak on this level about things um, or, or be able to talk about things on a level if you haven't read that to them or shown them what poetry is. So we do poetry memorization. I read books that are above their, I make sure that a lot of the things I, or some of the, at least some of the things I read are are above their level um, because they're not going to learn to speak in a higher level unless they're hearing things um, on a higher level and hearing those vocabulary words that they have to be like, wait, what does that mean? And sometimes they won't ask what it means, but they'll slowly learn as they hear that word over and over in context, they'll know what it means without even trying. Um, And so really reading to your kids, like, I don't know how I want, I want to say that like 18 times, like a hundred times, read to your kids, read to your kids. Audiobooks are great. Do a ton of audiobooks, um, audiobooks that are way above their level. Um, you know, just audiobooks, audiobooks, reading, reading. Okay. <laughs> that was um, only 16 times. That was only 16 times. <laughs> um, also, there are so many free homeschool curriculums that are all online um, that are definitely out there. That's why I sent you that little text of that picture, um, that I sent you, Sammy, if you want to put that, I don't even know where that's from, but I posted it on my business page, post it on your, on y'all's blog, on your, on your website. Um, but it just gives parents so many more resources and just a direction to start a place to start. Which category am I looking for? Oh, I'm looking at this category. Here's a bunch of websites to look at. Um, and, uh, and you can look for things in there. Um, the other one that I've, I've started to like too is called Let's Talk Homeschool. And it's just a homeschool couple um, that are a lot older than us. 
that have been doing this for a long time, whose kids are all graduated and grown and they're talking about homeschool and tips and, and uh, it's been, I've only listened to a few episodes, but they've been really good. Um, I saw another one that I haven't listened to a lot, but it's called Raising Lifelong Learners. And that one also looks really good um, as well. Um, and I, I think, I, I think, I, I don't I can't think of anything else. That's awesome. I love it. Great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this. You were a wealth of information for our listeners and also for us um, and just expanding our horizons to your private practice along with the option of homeschooling. So uh, I really appreciate it. And and can you tell our, our viewers real quick, our listeners, where can they find you if they're interested in learning yes. more about you? Yeah, my practice is rifepediatrics.com is the website. And you can find me on Facebook as well. Rife is R-A-F-E, F is in Frank. Um, and uh, that that's probably the best way to find me. You're welcome to message me through the the Facebook page or, or email. You can email me from the website and uh, and I'd be glad to answer any questions. I'm, I'm honestly, because I'm so like, I feel like this homeschool thing is so fun and and uh, and also so overwhelming. Like, even if you just want to talk homeschool and you're really confused about what to do with your kid and what's going to work best for your family and you just want somebody to talk to because you don't have anybody around you doing this, send me a message. I'd be glad to have a conversation with you. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I can vouch personally for that. Not the homeschooling thing, but just having known you for, if you can imagine now 10 years, um, you are that person. You're exactly what you just said you are. You are just the sweetest, most giving, generous person. And if ever anyone needs anything, you don't need to know them. You will give them every bit of you, which I have personally experienced and I love you for it. So I will vouch for you on that. Thank you. You're so sweet. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Beth. <laughs> thank thank y'all. you so much. And we will end this episode and uh, see you again next week with more great conversations with the Well Child. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any fact.